All right. If I could get you settled in. Where do you want us to turn? <laughs> All right. Turn to Second Kings chapter six. But we are we are here today. This is a doctrine for dummies. Uh, no offense. <laughs> But it's the basic doctrines of the Christian faith. And today's lesson is on angels. Very interesting subject. You probably never really studied angels. You've heard about them your whole life. Amazingly, you know, are there really angels? Amazingly, I looked at uh, Google's, you know, the polls that they do. Uh, so the 2007 Pew poll, whatever that is, said that 68% of the people believe in angels. Uh, 2008 Baylor University poll said 55% uh, believe that they have actually encountered angels, had experiences with angels. So the majority of people think that they've actually seen angels and had some kind of dealings or encounter or help from angels. A Gallup poll said that 82% of the people who attend church believe in angels. So that, that makes sense to me. I would have even expected it might be a little higher. But amazingly, everybody, I, probably more people believe in angels in a world basis than, than believe in God. I mean, it's really a wild deal. Uh, people believe in angels, and, and there's a good reason for that. Billy Graham wrote a best-selling book on angels years ago, and just a quote from his book, as an evangelist, I have often been tired and felt I couldn't go on, ready to give up. Yet again and again, I have been strengthened. I've always felt that unseen angels have helped me up to let me be God's messenger, speaking as a dying man to dying people. So beautiful excerpt from his book. The Bible speaks of the heavenly realm, uh, speaks of angels. There's over 300 references to angels. Uh, these heavenly beings, the, the spiritual world, uh, another uh, realm or dimension, if you would, from planet Earth as we know it. So something beyond what we can see, behind the scenes, behind the curtain, so to speak. A few men like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Paul and John in the Bible, so a few of the biblical authors and well-known people in the Bible, have actually been taken there. God actually took them to heaven to let them see the angels, see the heavenly host. And so they saw and heard uh, hosts of angels, uh, great numbers, huge. They said myriads of myriads. Does anybody know how big that is? I'm trying to figure that out. Myriads of myriads, nobody? <laughs> a lot. Yeah, there you go. So there's a lot of them. And these angels, when they go to heaven, what do they see? When these men go to heaven, what have they written for us as eyewitnesses? That these angels are there and they serve and worship God. And in the Bible stories, we as students get to peek behind the curtains and see beyond what is just visible. The, the authors of the Bible let us in on something that we normally don't see the world of angels and what they do. There is a spiritual war that's going on, we're told, and it involves uh, this, this material world we live in and also the spiritual realm, the angels and, and all the heavenly hosts, uh, as well as the fallen angels that the Bible commonly refers to as demons. And by the way, uh, 
quite often asked, well, you know, when I study the gospel accounts of Jesus' ministry, he's always running into these demons. What's the deal? Because I've never seen a demon. I mean, I never experienced that. I don't know anything about that. Uh, well, to me, the best illustration of why we typically don't see angels or demons, fallen angels, is uh, the Cold War. The Cold War, you know. We knew there were communist spies out there. We knew there was all kinds of things going on a lot of activity, and the Russians, the, the enemy was constantly getting secret, our secrets, right? We knew all that was going on, but we never saw any. Did anybody ever see any Russian spies? Not me. <laughs> see, not a person here ever saw a Russian spy, but you knew they were there. And this is the same, same thing going on in spiritual warfare. The Bible is clear about it. We know it's true, it's going on, but it's undercover. It's behind the scenes. They don't want you to see them or what they're up to or what their schemes are. So uh, we know it's going on, but it's behind the scenes and in the biblical accounts because Jesus comes in, they fear for their safety because they know that at the end of the age, Christ is going to send them to the pit. Quite often in Jesus' encounters with the demons, what do they say? Don't send us to the pit. So that's what they're looking. That's, that's why they come forward and have these encounters with Jesus because they know that he has power over them. Originally, all the angels were all created as good. You know, when the world was created and you have the Garden of Eden story, all angels uh, were created before that. And they were all uh, created as good angels. Uh, he, God created a huge number of angels. And then what happened? These angels, that some of them, a third of them that were created as good, fell. They wanted to be independent. They wanted to go their own way, much like the human race uh, after that, after them. And so uh, this rebellion is spoken of in Isaiah 14. And uh, we'll look at that in a minute, I think. And also Ezekiel 28, the fall of Lucifer, which means that that word that's, that we, we translate as Lucifer actually means the bright morning star. So originally, this devil, this Satan, this Lucifer that we normally think of as this horrible person was originally a beautiful, powerful angel that God created to serve him and worship him, but he fell. And you have the details of his falling there in Isaiah 14, also mentioned in Ezekiel 28 and also Revelation 12. Revelation 12 is where it tells us that when he fell, a third of the angels followed him and became from that time on known as demons. You also have uh, in quite a few stories uh, an order of angels. You have a hierarchy of angels, and one of the highest ones is the cherubim, high order of angels. And and uh, they're there before the throne of God. They're ministering and worshiping to him and praising God and uh, protecting the throne, so to speak. So they have this adversarial relationship between the, the angels of God and, of course, the fallen angels of Satan. You have a spiritual warfare going on. Ephesians six twelve, Paul writes about this, and he says, Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, which is interesting because that's what we think. You know, we have adversaries, we have villains, we have uh, people around the world that were even 
uh, fighting a war with, right? And there's all these adversaries everywhere we go that we struggle against. We've got all these problems. So we think our struggle is, is against uh, flesh and blood. It's worldly. It's, um, you know, material. But Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, that our real struggle is against the forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So uh, people are, are in the physical material realm, and we, we can see them, but also what's going on in the, in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual realm, is this battle between the forces of God and the forces of the adversary God, of God. So what would happen if we crossed over? What would happen if we sold our soul, so to speak? And you, could, you know all the stories and all the movies that have been written about selling your soul or going all over to serve the adversary of God. Uh, what would that be like? And why would we do that, right? So that's the subject of today's movie clip from Bida. <laughs> that says a lot, doesn't it? You know why? Why? Why do we want all these things? Why do we fantasize and dream because we want to be the hero? And if it really happened, though, we'd be like that guy, you know? <laughs> you like the uncontrolled sweating. That, that's always amazed me about basketball players. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's talk about angels. Are there really angels? As I said, there's about 300 references to angels. Let me tell you first what they're not. Because as usual, people, we have misconceptions about them, uh, what they are not. They are not the spirits of human beings. A lot of the movies, you know, and books portray angels as human beings. Their spirits have passed on, and they become angels in heaven. And, you know, the, the Jimmy Stewart movie, the angels have to achieve uh, all these things to get their wings and all this kind of nonsense. They are not spirits of humans. They are created beings, spiritual beings, that are apart from human beings. Secondly, they're not to be worshipped or prayed to. Throughout the scripture, when uh, they bring these great messages or, or help people, what do they do? They typically fall down and start to worship these angels, and they go, cut that out. And in me, it's the power of God. I'm just a messenger. I'm a created being just like you. Only God deserves to be worshipped. Do not worship or pray to me, and that's important because there are some uh, denominations or groups of Christian people who actually worship and venerate angels, even pray to them. So that's that ain't right. So we need to know that. Uh, second, thirdly, they're not a get a, get out of jail card for free. I mean, people think, oh, they're there, and whatever happens to me, they'll have to bail me out. You know, that that, that ain't right either. Fourthly, they see uh, angels as someone who looks just like them. In fact, there's no gender with angels. There's no male or female. And Jesus even says uh, they're not sexual beings. They don't procreate. Uh, and then lastly, uh, they're not commanded by us. We don't tell them what to do. <laughs> and they're not obligated to us either. They come from God to carry out God's will and God's plan for us. And so from Genesis to Revelation in almost every book, every story, you have angels. And Jesus, of course, talked about them uh, quite often. They uh, quite often appeared and ministered to Jesus. Uh, you know, when 
uh, Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he was all freaked out about what was getting ready to happen, the, the fear and, and just the anticipation of what he was getting ready to do. And God sent a ministering spirit, an angel, to comfort him and to encourage him. At his arrest, what happened? Uh, Peter said, we're going to defend him. Peter pulled the sword out. What did Jesus say? Peter, this has got to happen. Put the sword up. Don't you know that I could appeal to God and he would immediately put forth 12 legions of angels to defend me? So Jesus clearly believed in angels and, and talked about them in his ministry. Uh, and also in Acts 1, uh, verse 10, when Jesus ascended to heaven, he, came, he went up with the angels, and then the 120 of his disciples who were left there on the ground there on the Mount of Olives, who told them, who talked to them? What are you looking up there for? He's coming back, and he's coming back right here, and he's come back the same way he left. And so they witnessed these angels that... Uh, told them you know, to be comforted because Jesus was coming back. They predicted the second coming. What is the nature of angels? The uh, key passage, of course, is Hebrews 1.14 that says they are ministering spirits sent out by God to render service for the sake of those who are saved. So God has ministering spirits. He doesn't come himself in person even though God is omnipresent. He sends ministering spirits. All through the Old Testament you see the angels coming. They quite often bring the word of God, the message of God, revelation from God. And other times they warn, they predict. They have a lot going on there in the Old Testament that God is sending angels. The Hebrew word in the Old Testament is malak, and the Greek word in the New Testament is angelos. Both of them mean literally messengers. So a lot of times, uh, like especially in the Psalms, it's hard to tell if he's, who he's talking about, if he's talking about an actual human being that's a messenger of God or if he's talking about an angel because the actual word is messenger. And the context of the, of the uh, verse, the passage, uh, pretty much tells us uh, which is which. And we have them translate, that word messenger translated typically in our New Testament as angel. But the, the word messenger really wraps up, really tells us what they do. They bring a message from God. They have a ministry that they bring from God to us. They were all created at the same time, we're told in Colossians 1.16. They're gender-free. Uh, they can't die. They're well-organized. There's a hierarchy, a pecking order with them, many classes of angels. They're not limited to physical bodies. They're, they're spiritual beings, and they exist in uncountable numbers, we're told, as I said before, myriads of angels. Uh, their function is to come as messengers, to give comfort, to protect, uh, guardians, they're called, and they execute also the judgment of God several times, like the Sodom and Gomorrah story. They also come to rescue and to warn uh, God's people. A lot of the stories in the Old Testament you're aware of that teach their ministries, like Abraham in Genesis 18, Jacob, Balaam, uh, Elisha. And in the New Testament, uh, you see angels working with both Peter and Paul as well, of course, as Christ. Uh, the book of Revelation is full of angels. John sees the vision of, 
uh, the future and the judgments that are coming, and angels are right in the middle of it. They are bringing the judgments. They're announcing the judgments there all through the book of Revelation. What I want to do is, is take some of the stories in order to bring out how, how the angels work and what they do. Uh, the story of Abraham in Genesis 18.2, you see, is when these angels come into the camp of Abraham. Remember, he sees them coming. He thinks they're strangers at first, and then he acts as a, uh, uh, as a host there and feeds them and talks to them. And that's when he gets the message that his wife, Sarah, is going to have a son, of course, in a, in a year, and that would be Isaac, his son Isaac with Sarah. And that's where she laughed and said, yeah, right, you know, because uh, I'm about 90 years old. Right, that's really going to happen, right? Uh, and so she laughed. And, and guess what uh, the Hebrew word for laughter is? Isaac. Yeah, so they named the kid after what happened at the story, the encounter with the angels. And the angels' reply to her is, hey, look, is anything too difficult for the Lord? That's a great, uh, very profound saying, isn't it? We ought to have that on the tip of our tongue anytime anybody says, can that happen? Or why do you believe, you know, is anything too difficult for the Lord? And, of course, that's a rhetorical question. you got to go, no. He can do anything. He's God. He created all things. And so that's the angel's answer there. It's going to happen. I guarantee it. And I'm bringing you that message. And then verse 20 through 32 in the same chapter, uh, the angels tell him that they're going to Sodom and Gomorrah. The sin of Sodom and Gomorrah has reached such a level that God must respond. God is very patient. He's long-suffering. But there's a point in time when he's had enough. We don't know when that is. We hope it's not soon. Here. But with Sodom and Gomorrah's case, it was time. And so they were going there to destroy it. And, you know, that's the story of Abraham's negotiations with them. Well, if there's 50 righteous people, would you spare it? And they go on down to about, uh, what, 10? And there's, and there's not that many, so they end up destroying it. And then you have uh, Jacob in Genesis 28. Uh, many years later, the grandson of Abraham, Jacob, uh, he's lied and deceived his father and his brother is, is threatened to kill him. So he flees out of there. He's alone as he's going to see his uncle up in Haran. And he's out there in the wilderness alone. He doesn't know what the future holds. He's alone. He's scared. And what does God do? He gives him that vision there in Genesis 28 of the angels descending on the ladder, ascending and descending back and forth to give him the, the understanding, the comfort, the support, the encouragement that God is sending ministering, ministering spirits to help him, to bring him not only the word of God, but to tell him God knows your plight, God knows what's going on, God cares, and he's got these messengers and these ministering spirits coming to you. We're, he's completely aware God loves you, and you're not alone. So they delivered a comforting message that God is with you. No matter how bad things are, no matter how bad they seem, God's with you. He's going to take care of you. It's going to be all right. Interesting story in the book of Numbers with this character, Balaam. Uh, he's this prophet that uh, is being uh, bought, so to speak, by the Midianites, the Moabites, to come and prophesy against Israel. And, of course, that's not God's will. And so the angel 
speaks through the donkey. You've heard the deal about the talking donkey. I've even had people say, well, I kind of find the Bible hard to believe. I mean, you got talking donkeys and everything. Well, if you read the story, you know, you'll see that the donkey doesn't really talk. It's the angel speaking through the donkey to bring a message from Balaam because he's riding this donkey and he's already been told by God and so when it comes from the donkey then he finally gets his attention right and so uh, he's going to go down there to curse through, but that's all changed by the word of the angel God's warning to him then in Judges there's quite a few angel appearances in the book of Judges uh, Judges 6 11 you know the story of Gideon and the angel comes to Gideon and says, God's going to do something awesome. He's going to deliver Israel through you. And, of course, <laughs> Gideon argues with the angel, you know. And he says, uh, why, would I, why would you use me? And he says, well, God's with you. And he said, really, if God's with me, why has all this awful stuff happened to me? And the angel uh, keeps working with him. And that's where they, he even tests. Gideon even tests God. And the angel goes ahead just to build up his faith. And you have... The fleece, you know, with the water on it and not on the ground. And the next day, not on the fleece and on the ground. So uh, the angel's involved in all of that. In Daniel 6, the story of Daniel, he's constantly being uh, helped and comforted, visited by angels. He gets the word from angels. You have great scenes in the lion's den. You're all familiar with Daniel and the lion's den. Well, who saved him from the lions? The angels. <laughs> It saved Daniel in the lion's den. And when the king came the next morning and said, Man, how did you survive? I know these lions were hungry. And remember what Daniel said? He said, God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And one of my favorite stories that really tells you a lot about the ministry of angels can be found in 2 Kings 6. If you have your Bible or your uh, iPad or phone, uh, look at 2 Kings chapter 6. This is an awesome story. You probably may not, many of you may not even heard it before. I never hear it preached or, or taught anywhere. But to me, it's incredibly interesting. You have the king of Syria, uh, uh, who's just north of Israel. Believe it or not, the Arabs and the Jews were fighting. <laughs> I know that will surprise you. This was in 850 B.C., 850 B.C., the Arabs and the Jews were fighting. They've always fought. All the way back to Genesis 16, <laughs> they've been fighting. Uh, so nothing's changed. And so they're fighting, and the king of Syria makes these plans to attack them, sneak attack them in certain places. But the angel reveals to the prophet Elisha all these plans so they're able to defend themselves against these various attacks. So naturally, the king of Assyria says, who's the spy? Who's ratting us out? How do they know our plans? How do they know when we're going to hit them? There must be a spy. And his man says, nope, I figured it out. I know what's going on. There's a prophet in Israel who is telling them, uh, has this inside information of what you're going to do before you do it. And so the king of, of Syria says, okay, who is this guy? We'll go bump him off. So in the story, the entire army of Syria goes to Elisha's house. And they wake up. Elisha and his servant are the only ones there. And they wake up in the morning. And the servant comes outside, looks up, and the entire Syrian army is there. 
That reminds me of the, the, uh, the great movie, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Remember when they robbed the train and they're running away and the, the marshals are all chasing and they split up? And Butch says, uh, how many of them are following us? And, the, and his partner says, all of them. <laughs> all of them? What's wrong with those guys? <laughs> you know, I think that's pretty much what Elisha's uh, servant said. He said, does the whole army have to come in here? To, I mean, there's just two of us. Why us? So he sees this huge uh, Syrian army surrounding them, and he's, he's just so scared and fearful. And Elisha sees that army too. But Elisha sees something that the servant doesn't see. And Elisha, being a man of faith, sees the army of God surrounding the army of Syrians. And so he prays. Look at verse 16. First he tells the servant, don't worry. Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And if you're his servant, you're going, with us? Man, I don't see anybody. <laughs> it's just me and you. But verse 17, then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. That's a great prayer. for We, we ought to pray that every day. Because we all got problems. There's always struggles. There's always something going on, right? But if we could have this prayer of Elisha and realize it, Lord, open my eyes and let me see. Let me see what you're doing, Lord. Let me see that you care about the problems, the struggles that I have, and that you're with me. So verse seven, 17, he prays, Open his eyes that he may see and believe. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So he got to glimpse in what really happened was this angelic realm behind the scenes, this other dimension. Uh, God let him see that. So he would know that God was with them and protecting them. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness. So this whole army of Syria is now blind. And what happens, Elisha says, Okay, uh, let's lead them off. Y'all follow us. We'll take care of you. Now, remember, uh, they're all blind, and so this whole army is like walking along like this. Think of the, you know, all these zombie movies that you have now on TV. <laughs> all the zombies are walking around. That's what it must have looked like. They led these guys to the capital city of Israel, Samaria. And he called, open the gate. I've got the whole army here captured. <laughs> and he leads them inside. And then he prays to the Lord. Now open their eyes so they can see. And now that they're inside Samaria, and uh, they've been disarmed, and they're at the mercy of Israel. Their eyes are open, and they see. And then something incredible happens. I, I think really a wonderful thing. Naturally, if you're there in Samaria, if you're one of the, the Jews there, you're going, now we got them, now we wipe them out, we'll kill everyone. Is that what happens? No. Elisha says, no, don't kill them. Feed them. Take care of them. Send them back home. And you think, what? God's always got a better plan, doesn't he? He sends these guys back home 
Why? Because he had a higher purpose. They go back home and they tell him, uh, those guys have got a whole angelic army that we don't want to mess with. You go down there and you're going to go blind, pal. Let's stay up here. Not only that, those guys aren't that bad. They fed us and clothed us and took care of us. We don't want to fight those guys. And so they left them alone for like a generation. God knew. God had a better plan, a better way. And so as you see in the story that God is with them, God takes care of them, God ministers to them, and God executes a new and better plan through the agency of these angels. So God is involved, and he has sent his messengers, his ministering spirits, uh, to help them just as he does us as well. And maybe some of you are here today and you go, well, I've never had any help. I've never had any angels come see me. Uh, you know, where, where's the angel to take care of my problems? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, you know, we think all the stuff that's going on, you know, in our world is a terrible problem. We're not sure how to fix it. Maybe it's uh, relational problems or money problems or any number of problems that we all have. We're all struggling but what are our real problems? Let's, kinda, let's just hash out what our real problems are. Number one, your real problem is a need for forgiveness. We all have a need to be forgiven. We're all sinners. We all make mistakes. We all offend people from time to time. We need forgiveness. Christ is taking care of that problem. God's taking care of that through Christ. Uh, when you look at the future, we all wonder about, we all fear death, and we wonder what does the future hold? Well, Christ has defeated death. The resurrection, we've been promised to be resurrected just as he was. So we have been given the gift of eternal life in heaven. So we're co-heirs with Christ. That problem, you can check that one off. Thirdly, we're saying, well, okay, but now I've got to live now. That's in the future. What about now? God has given us his spirit. We studied that a couple of weeks ago. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to help us now, to empower us now so we can have the abundant life even now. So check that one off. Material needs, we're going, well, you know, I'm, just, I'm worried about my money deal, of whether I have security or enough money to live on and all that. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6, 25, Do not be anxious for what you shall eat or drink or clothes or your health. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all that will be added to you. Your basic needs will be taken care of. So check that off. So let me recap that. Forgiveness, check. Eternal life, check. Abundant life, now, check. Material needs, check. Your problems are solved. <laughs> you just don't know it, right? And so God does care. God has done something. He has uh, entered this world, not only through the angels, but also, of course, through his son. And so God is involved. God has a higher purpose, and he is actively involved. He's observing us. He's sending his messengers to us. He's going to help us uh, in the way we need it, but the key is the prayer of Elisha, open their eyes. If we had the faith and the belief, God will open our eyes to what he's doing. 
to how much he cares about us. God is in control. God has provided. Uh, and he is the Lord of our lives. And he is doing something even now. Uh, one preacher said, you know, uh, it's amazing what God's done. Uh, you know, you think, well, he's got all these angels. Why does he need me? And he says, however poor a preacher I am, I can preach the gospel better than an angel because angels can't say what I can say. I can say I am a sinner saved by grace, right? And so we also are in the employ, so to speak, the service of God as well. Um, so the bottom line is, what do we come away with in our study of angels? We see all that they do. We look at all these stories that they're involved in. Uh, number one, God's guardians are watching us. We're being watched by God's helpers, his messengers. Uh, they know what's going on. And they are yet another provision for our well-being. You know, God is taking care of us in many ways, and that's just one of them. We have, the scriptures say, guardian angels. In Acts 12, you have the story of Peter's angel. Peter is broken out of jail in Acts chapter 12 by his angel. And we're told that that's his specific angel. Matthew 18.10, Jesus gathers the children to him, and he tells his disciples that, that great quote about, you need to have the faith that these little children have. And he's also teaching them at that time uh, that these little children, God loves them so much that they each have their angel, taking God's angel taking care of them. Uh, Psalm 91.11 says, God will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you. So there, there, there are guardian angels. Hebrews 1.14, again, angels are ministering spirits sent by God to render service to who? To believers to save people, all right? So thirdly, excuse, or excuse me, secondly, angels are intensely interested in our well-being. They care about us, uh, and they're part of God's love to us. God cares so much about us that he has provided another way to minister to us, and their ultimate concern is our redemption and God's ultimate victory. So... Angels have another function at the end of the age that you see in the book of Revelation in executing God's judgments. We see uh, in Jesus' teaching in Matthew 13, he tells the, the parable of the wheat and the tares, and he tells them, don't judge people now. Don't be judgmental. You don't know really who believes and who doesn't believe. Take people at their word, believe in them, help them. But he said in the end, when Christ comes back, he will separate Believers from unbelievers, the, the wheat from the tares in the story. Let him be the judge, right? And he says, at the end of the age, when Christ comes back at the second coming, the Son of Man will send forth his angels. And the angels, they will gather up believers and unbelievers and separate them at that time. So they will be involved as uh, God's, again, messengers and his instruments of justice, of justice at the end of the age. So I ask you this question in conclusion. Have you seen any angels lately? <laughs> You'd be surprised. I, I sent out this message. I uh, hope you all got it about angels last uh, Thursday. And I immediately started getting calls and emails back 
uh, people telling about their experience with angels and and uh, they were all, they were all very interesting, amazing. You'd be amazed at how many people uh, believe they've had these experiences. And of course, I I, I think they're right. I I uh, can point to a few times in my life as well. One time, my wife and I were stranded in a totally remote, deserted place. Have uh, you ever been between Amarillo and New Mexico? <laughs> you don't want to be there. If you run out of gas, you don't want to be there. <laughs> and it was desolate. It was 3 in the morning. It was cold. I mean, there, we looked in both directions, and we saw nothing and no one, no lights at all. And I, we were just kind of mulling around what we were going to do, and there was basically no hope. And uh, suddenly, there's this light's right there. And this guy pulls up, like, out of nowhere in a truck and, and gets out. And, of course, we're thinking, is this like an axe murder or something, you know? Exactly. <laughs> it turns out this guy says, run out of gas? Yeah. He says, I'll take care of that. Pulls a garden hose out of the back of his truck, rams one end into his gas tank, and then here I, and I'm looking at that going, well, I guess I'm going to be the sap that sucks the gas out of there, you know? And I say, well, I'll do that. And he says, no, no, I got this. And he sucked this gas up and then stuck it in our tank and, and gave us a bunch of gas. And they just kind of methodically packed up, and I'm trying to hand, hand him some money. And he says, no, I didn't do that for money. He gets in his truck and leaves. So we start up the car, and we follow. I expect to see you know, his lights up here and maybe run into him in the next little town or something. He is nowhere to be. I don't know where that guy went. I don't know where he came from, and I don't know where he went, you know? And we probably all have some event like that in our life that, that we wonder about. And I always go back to Hebrews 13, too. If, if you want to uh, see something cool, look at Hebrews 13, too. Uh, the author says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Isn't that great? God has sent angels into, I believe, into each of our lives at different points in time, and you may not even know it. Think of all the help you've gotten in the past, maybe from strangers or whoever, and you thought, wow, that came out of the blue. That was just what I needed, right? And so who knows? Uh, God sent somebody to help you. And it makes us wonder about all the close calls we've had in the past and and uh, I think we can assume that God knew and God helped in one way or the other. So we have a personal God who is actively involved. Even at the times of crisis, God's there, God knows, God cares, and angels are yet one more way, one more result of God's love for us. So let, it, let us praise him in every situation knowing that he loves us, he cares about us, that he sent his messengers and ministering spirits to us. We are never alone, and the spiritual forces of God are always there when we most need them. Let me close in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for blessing us. Thank you, Lord, for caring, for watching over us, for sending your your angels to guard us and protect us and help us in so many ways. Lord, at just one more way, we know that you love us and we thank you so much for that ultimate act of love of sending Christ 
to save us and redeem us and bring us back into relationship with you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.